Welcome to the One Within All, and thanks for checking out episode 112 of Interverse. My name is Chance Garten, and I'm here to remind you of the infinite creative potential that dwells within by bringing you enlightening conversations with highly conscious artists. The great part about introspection is the never-ending stream of perspective-enhancing power we partake in by putting our positive thoughts into speech and action. And coming off the heels of last week's episode with martial artist David Whitehead, I'm really excited to take another look at how our free will choices can unslave our consciousness with today's returning guest, the righteous rebel against spiritual stagnancy, and the author of The Matrix of Four, The Geometry of Energy, and numerous other empowering books, Ethan Indigo Smith. Last February, Ethan made his debut on the show, and together we analyzed how the basic geometric shapes are present in our modes of consciousness and thought, and we had one of my favorite talks ever about how to develop a personalized meditation practice. I will make sure to link our previous episode in the show notes, and I recommend taking a listen if you want some highly practical ideas on spiritual self-development. We also touched on meditative movement, the power in stillness, and how to keep up your momentum in any endeavor by maintaining a steady pace of 70% effort. Today, we've planned a talk revolving around Ethan's book, The Matrix of Four, which is an enlightening examination of how binaries or polarities like the political left or right are actually only two out of a potential of four possibilities. The Matrix of Four shows how the universe uses quaternities to craft quintessence, also known as the fifth element or spirit. There's so many ways to examine universal and universal phenomenon through the Matrix of Four philosophy that I highly doubt we'll cover all the bases in this talk alone, so check the show notes for a link to The Matrix of Four on Amazon, where you can read it as an ebook. It'll take you about four or five hours to get through altogether, so that may seem like a pretty good time investment after you hear our talk today about applying the Matrix of Four philosophy to overcome our own debilitating duality. As Ethan says in the book, the fourth way is the way of the righteous rebel. The individual for individuals, the moral lawbreaker, the freed prisoner, the unlimited alternative, the zero divided by zero, the nalesis. Now, before we start breaking down all these aspects of the power of four, let's take a moment to nullify the chaos in our minds that all the external world stimuli stirs up and peacefully perceive the single pointed part in our hearts that pumps out all of our personal power. Whether you're sitting, standing, or laying down, Find a way to stretch and expand your inner self with the inspiration of respiration by breathing deep, pausing a moment, and fully letting out that exhale. Keep that pattern of focused breathing going as long as you can as you mentally project a warm welcome to our returning friend, Ethan Indigo Smith. Thanks for coming back on the show, dude. Blessings. Thank you for such a compelling introduction. How are you? Feeling inspired again after reading your book. I guess we could just start by unpacking the Matrix of Four philosophy. And I think a good way to comprehend it would be by defining thesis, antithesis, synthesis, or nalesis. Right. Well, actually, in today's uh, uh, polarized uh, political sphere, we see that there is, uh, when at least there is an agreement <clears throat> that comes forth between the Democrats and Republicans say, there is the thesis, and that is the first presentation of an idea. And then there is uh, the antithesis, which would be the contrast to that idea, or, or the uh, declaration that certain parts or the whole of the idea 
are eliminated. And from there, we have the synthesis. And this is the combination of the two contrasting polarities, where in using the Democratic and Republican analogy, they have an agreement. They come to an agreement that really does no good for anyone. <laughs> um, and the power of the, the fourth our archetype, the righteous rebel, uh, is nullicis, and that is no, neither, essentially. And that leads to the limitless alternative, right? Um, actually, you'll see this polarity put forth in politics all the time once you notice it. It's a, a, a really useful way to essentially divide and conquer. And uh, with energy, you'll see um, sort of an ultimatum put forth that if we didn't focus on the use of coal and oil, we would have to focus on the use of nuclear. And now what ends up is a, a, essentially a, a synthesis of uh, these being the prominent energy formats, whereas the optimal position would actually be no, neither, certainly, because nuclear and uh, petroleum are mine, refine, and burn the same, and in oligarchical format. Uh, so um, I've, I'm continued to be surprised myself as to how much the uh, polarity is put forth without uh, the contrast. Um, most frequently, people know about thesis, antithesis, antithesis, and synthesis having to do with uh, the Hegelian dialectic of problem, reaction, solution. Um, and usually, the solution in political formats has already been uh, pre-written uh, before the problem is presented. And, you know, a blatant example of this is the Patriot Act. Um, and, and they're put forth or written um, for potentials, but, uh, you know, that's just how government works, I guess. Um, but uh, again, so the problem reaction solution, when you add on nullicis, you really refine the potentials and don't get caught up in that Hegelian construct, really. Yeah. Okay. So Eastern thought has some very useful concepts in it that a lot of us know, and we never really take the time to introspectively go further with the concept. So the grand ultimate or the yin-yang symbol of the balancing light and dark energies, one of the things that Eastern thought puts to the white and the black or the yin and the yang is that the masculine is the creative, but it's also the no in a way. And the feminine is receptive and it's the yes in a way. And what you're saying no to in the sense of the sacred masculine is no to wrongness or wrongdoing or evil. It's a concept of spiritual warriorship that I got into with David Whitehead in the last episode in quite a deep way. But so that is a perfect reflection in your matrix of four breakdown that I came away with that wasn't even explicitly stated in the book, but that the create the reason why the masculine 
no force is considered the creative force is because once you say I'm not doing X or A or B, I'm doing X, then it could be anything. And like when you put that in terms of life and these dialectics that are handed to us, like, okay, you can work really hard your whole life until you finally retire and have a decent level of living, or you can try to be something different, an artist or free or whatever, but struggle your whole life and never quite make ends meet the same way as the people that are going for just the materialistic bent. But actually, that's a lie. There's, a, there's another choice, which is no, I'm going to create a way where I synthesize what I want from A and B, but say no to everything else. So having that in your toolkit, realizing that you actually begin tapping into your creative potential more whenever you're put up against the wall where you think you have no other choice but A or B and you're like, it's still wrong. I'm not picking the lesser of two evils. I'm going to do what's right for me. Then all of a sudden you sprout wings and start flying and you don't even realize where they came from. Stuff just starts coming your way synchronistically. And there's the entire concept right there. I mean, I got the magical chills just coming to this realization. That's the Tao itself right there. That's the active non-action saying no to the wrong action will lead you to the right action automatically it's so eloquently put chance that's that's awesome and and the yin yang symbol is called in chinese the taiji right and um it's composed of yin and yang and actually it's it's uh i could have based the matrix of four on the yin yang symbol or the tai chi because it is composed of a duality of polarity explicitly and there's the two um less subtle parts the positive and the negative and the subtle parts are the negative within the positive and the positive within the negative so um it, it really just understanding the simplicity that is um, relatable to so many aspects of the natural and social world, that being the yin yang, that is composed of the matrix of four, really um, allows for all these chilling realizations, right? It's it's because, and the matrix of four, it, I, I've come to think of it as a vibration that's Although there's other vibrations that are causational, it's it's one that is uh, really uh, ends up being elemental in a lot of uh, uh, subjects and objects, right? And um, it's it kind of is a way to reveal uh, uh, and, and conceptualize really the limitlessness of entirety, right? So. Um, I actually, instead of basing it on the yin yang, which I I could have or own, I I based it on um, what I call the matrix of four of reality, which is uh, the mental, physical, spiritual, and universal. Um, and and these are all matrices of four unto themselves, and are really the um, I base the matrix of four on absolutes, three kind of four, arguably. Uh, uh, mathematics is the mental subject that I base the matrix of four on. And arithmetic is a duality of polarity, again, explicitly. 
right? Uh, multiplication, division, uh, uh, subtraction, addition. And um, you, you started off the program with the breath, and I was going to mention the four aspects of breath, which are the inhalation and the pause full and the exhalation and the pause empty. And of course, this correlates with yin yang. And uh, the universal uh, matrix of four is, again, a perfect duality of polarity, not just four parts. When objects are in orbit, there ends up being four seasons because of the solstices and equinoxes. Thank you. So we, in, in regards to the four seasons, we celebrate it not because of our favor for four, but because of the equinoxes and the solstices and the spiritual concept being uh, of Om, which is again the on, only one that's not necessarily um, an absolute, but it Om is said to contain four basic parts as well. So yeah, the matrix of four just uh, really left me uh, stunned and actually more capable to again maintain principle among the shifts of society and and the the polarities that are put forth. Okay, so this is a great place to start talking about how maintaining principle means avoiding dogma and. What you seem to do is a mixed martial arts approach to spirituality, which I think anyone who's the spiritual rebel type tends to do. So you you see what's there in the other spiritual paths, but without diving into the point of being like, you're not wearing the t-shirt, you're not a part of the club, right? But you're observing as this outsider uh, awareness and... What I see when I look at these things, and you point this out in the book, and this is where I want to go with it, is that a lot of the later developing priest craft ended up putting this quaternity into a trinity. And that goes from temples throughout the East and Asia that have the triptarch, three passageway entrances representing that concept of male, female, and then divine in the middle. Leaving out nature, which is the fourth part, as you so uh, intelligently point out in your book. And then you have that trinity in classic Christianity, of course. Right. And it strikes me, too, though, the Trinitarian uh, history within Christianity is not associated necessarily with the omission of four, uh, particularly um, in, in relation to the matrix of four. But it's wild that the non-Trinitarians were persecuted, right? Um, and it, 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 the, you know, uh, many people look at the mind, body, spirit trinity as being compelling and, com and even complete, if you will. But again, yes, it leaves out our surroundings and uh, there's the mental, spiritual, and and uh, physical, but there's not the natural. And this is actually really what is omitted from our cultural considerations in total, right? We really um, want to boost the economy, but we're not measuring our clean, clean water, right? Um, and, you know, getting back to uh, the omission of four, one of the most striking to me is the adage of the four wise monkeys or what most people know 
as the three wise monkeys. And part of that comes from that in Mandarin Chinese and Japanese, uh, four is a homonym for death or, or with death, right? So, so death and four sound similar in these languages. Um, so four is kind of uh, associated numerically, like in the West, 13 is associated, like which if you look in a numerological standpoint, 13 is four because of uh, when when there's uh, two digits, you add up the digits if they equate to something less than nine. So uh, the four wise monkeys with the eliminated fourth part uh, is see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. And the fourth monkey, which uh, really is depictive of... Uh, the uh, mixed martial artist approach, as you say. And even, um, you know, uh, Lao Tzu said the greatest, uh, I think, I know it was Confucius, I think, um, no, it was Lao Tzu. Someone, a, a great Chinese philosopher uh, once said, um, the greatest form of fighting is fighting without fighting. And there's many ways to look at that, right? But essentially, uh, in a lot of ways, we're always fighting. Right. Because there's a there's a biological war going on within us in our in our gut and uh, so forth and so on. And we're fighting gravity. I mean, we don't just use that terminology for nothing. The ground is a really powerful foe. <laughs> um, and uh, we're we're always in a battle with the mediation of our collective to be ourselves, right? Um, and to not be refrained and restrained by negative training, you know? So, so the fourth monkey, hear no, excuse me, uh, 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 fear no evil and do no evil slash do no evil um, holds his Dantian. Um, and, uh, and in Eastern arts and traditions, this is where from everything originates, right from our center and this you could say it's true biologically spiritually and in movement um so um the fear no evil archetype does nothing it does not react to what the other less wise monkeys are in their pattern system kind of undertaking a, a lacking, right? That's, this is not a wise thing, right? Generally speaking, there are layers of it that can be wise, but you generally want to look, listen, and speak and, and not be afraid, right? The fourth monkey concept actually is reflected in Western traditions in the major arcana of the tarot, the fourth card being the emperor, the emperor ruled by Mars, which is the fire element, which is the, you know, also connected to the root chakra, which is the Dantian in Eastern medicine. So there's a clear correlation there. And the malignant form of, well, all the arcana are aspects of consciousness. Neurologically, uh, you can tie it to all kinds of systems, but they have a malignant and a beneficent manifestation. And the malignant form of the emperor is that external hierarchy of control that tells you what to do and keeps you from your individualized self in a way. But that's actually 
only a reflection of your lack of personal sovereignty within. So the beneficent version of the emperor is the saying no, the righteous rebel, the things that we've been talking about, the creative power that's there in Nalesis. And we've got, once we are the emperor of our own internal self, then that's completing the four in a way. And that, that allows our individuality. I think it also ties into German idealism with the three parts of self that came out in psychiatry or psychology, whether you look at that as id, the repressed natural self and ego, and the third part as uh, the superego, perhaps. There's the fourth part, which is nature in that. And the other way that they put the self into a trinity in German idealism was through the concept of the world of others, other people, the midwelt, the world of self, the eigenwelt, which is your internal world, and then the world of nature, which is the umwelt. But that doesn't talk about the the part of yourself that is the imaginary voice of other people in your head that's telling you what other people think about you. And that's sort of the malignant four right there. And by obscuring that fourth part or not paying attention to that fourth part, we're not realizing that we could say no to that fourth part, which is the voice in your head that's telling you you're not good enough or you can't create what you want to create or you don't have time to take care of yourself, all of that resistance. So recognizing that there's that fourth part of self beyond just your inner world, the world of others and nature, there's this artificial intelligence implanted in your mind from very young age of this, what do I look like to everyone around me? That is the thing to say no to on the internal level and just let it be information because, you know, it is, it's always worth knowing, I guess, how you appear to others, but treat it as just that, like it's just a scanning tool. Like you don't actually have to be ruled by that. That's, uh, that's really profound with the uh, tarot correlation for one and the direct uh, correlation in that idea of, uh, and relating to consciousness, right? Um, and uh, it, the, the following uh, aspects of three and in a, in a uh, capsule, that being four, um, remind me of one of the concepts from the Matrix of Four that really unified a way, um, uh, or or presented a way that could not only uh, explore the esoteric but also the political. Um, and that being that there's four types of information, right? And um, there's essentially the knowns and the unknowns, right, is one polarity. But to really explore the diverseness of this contrast, it's best to, con to present these in known knowns, right? So there's things that we know that we know. There are also things that we know that we don't know right? Uh, these are known unknowns, right? There's things we know that we don't know about the sun. Uh, excuse me, there's uh, concepts we know that we are ignorant of pertaining to the sun. Um, and then there is uh, the um, unknown knowns, right? There's, there are certain elements um, that we can't exactly uh, tell where they arise from, right? So, 
Um, and then there's the unknown unknowns. And there's just, there's some things that we don't even know. We don't know. But uh, this, this concept was presented uh, firstly in, that I saw uh, by one of the greatest liars of our time, Donald Rumsfeld. Right. And he said that the, the weapons of mass destruction are somewhere around uh, Baghdad. And there's there's things, you know, there's unknown knowns, there's known knowns and there's known unknowns. But what he didn't divulge is that there's that unknown knowns. And these are the intuitive aspects within and also uh, potentially um, in correlation with politics, it's what others know that we don't know, right? But as uh, in regards to intuition, there are unknown knowns. There's things we know we don't know that we know. And uh, to that point, um, as far as encapsulating the id, the ego, um, um, and uh, the third aspect, uh, uh, that, what was it? The, I like to make the third aspect the superego, or the third aspect could be nature, and the fourth aspect could be the superego. But the superego is the voice of other people's perspective of you, mm -hmm. in a sense. It's the cultural self, not the authentic self. See, I equate the ego with being actually like the outer surface of the body. Like your actual body is your ego right. because the more you get into these movement practices and healing modalities, you find that healing your body changes the way your ego expresses and you have a healthy and balanced ego right. all of a sudden because your body is healthy and balanced. So why should we even separate those two from each other in a, in a sense? So the false self that sometimes in new age spirituality, we're told to kill the ego, but actually to me, that sounds like kill yourself and what really we need to be conquering is the superego. We don't have to kill that either because there's value in understanding the perspectives of others, of course, but we just can't live by that and die by it. Right. And I, I, I that's exactly where I was going um, with the encapsulation. Uh, the biggest aspect of our unconsciousness is our body, right? Is the capsule we are in. And uh, to your point, um, it's best not to kill the ego it's best to root the ego, right? To be grounded and principled. And, um, you know, it's really bad to be confrontational and get into a fight. But if someone is hurting someone, well, you know, there's, uh, if someone's, I always say in, in sharing Tai Chi and presenting a peaceful format, at the same time, if someone is shaking a baby, what do you do? You don't ask any questions. You don't ask any questions. You unfold on the person to get the baby safe. That's it. Um, and so there's certain times when um, um, being confrontational is optimal. But really, our biggest enemy is ourselves, right? Um, and so getting past our super ego or our own unconsciousness to our parts um, is is really uh, an expansion unto itself and healing. And I like to say after healing is strengthening, right? So, um, you know, in, in yoga, there's a presentation of several matrices of four. 
uh, or sets of matrix of four. Um, and um, one understanding is that there is four ways to obtain energy uh, through water, food, breath, and meditation and meditative movement. Meditation slash meditative movement. So uh, there's another just point of interest that it's not necessarily a, a duality, but it's a, a matrix, certainly. Yeah, and there, that's not the only spirituality system that has the matrix of four and also ends up being a pretty balanced spiritual system <laughs> or not in not harming the earth, you could say, to the level that our Trinitarian system mm -hmm. tends to do. Like, for example, the Native American spiritual concept of the four directions and the medicine wheel. Are there any others that you can think of, positive manifestations of the matrix of four? Can you talk about some of them that exist in Hinduism and perhaps in Buddhism, too? Well, one of the most compelling concepts in Hinduism you, it hearkened to what you're saying before about uh, the negative and positive or the beneficial potential and negative potential. Um, and all of the gods within Hinduism have this aspect, this matrix of four directly built into their presentation. Uh, each god has a vehicle and the vehicles are primarily contrasting opposites of the god. Um, I like Ganesh because he's the god of writers, but every Hindu god has this uh, concept. Um, Ganesh is the elephant-headed god who's pretty big-bellied, and his vehicle is a tiny little mouse or rat. Um, and uh, Ganesh is known as the wall maker or wall breaker. Generally, people don't pray to him to put up walls. <laughs> um, and uh, in our political world today, generally, walls are not a good thing spiritually or politically. Uh, so Ganesh is the wall breaker, right? Um, and so is his vehicle. And elephants, when they come across a wall, they bash right through it. And the mice, when they come across a wall... It's just as meaningless to them, and they uh, chew right through it, right? And so um, we pray to this matrix of four potential to break down walls. Um, and, uh, you know, I think um, there's so many ways that uh, just the yin-yang um, uh, philosophy um, that has matrix of four encoded into it, uh, really reveal a way to be balanced. And that is ultimately what the matrix of four is. Um, there is one year, there is one, a oneness of an annual year, but there's four seasons and we are one planet, but there's, uh, there's the four hemispheres right um and you know um that's just an abstract but there's there's a, a always a table and there's four legs to that table right so the idea behind the matrix of four is um balance ultimately um and so um you know a lot of people look at the yin yang symbol 
as being made of two diverse parts. But again, it's there's two obvious parts and then the two subtle parts, right? So uh, within the yin-yang um, philosophy is not anything about separation. It's, a, it's really more than anything about co-arising, right? And interdependency. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, I think uh, socially, a lot of people make the mistake that is one of the first lessons when you start exploring spirituality, you learn <laughs> that's a mistake. And you realize how often people do it socially. Um, don't focus on the negative. Everyone in our polarized society right now is focusing on what they um, do not like, right? And so we have to focus on what we promote and what is beneficial, not what is negative and tearing us down. And so, I mean, as an independent thinker, we could all go, both you and I as independent thinkers could go off on the left and right politics of our country and criticize both sides. Um, but if we focus on building that balance um, and co-arising, then we're not, you know, in this kind of, you know, uh, using polarity to divide us rather than understanding that there's differences that are all part of that same table, right? Yeah, whenever you're working with two, just that number alone kind of insinuates and has the energy of division or separation in a way because it's two two ones put together. But with four, you do have two and two on each side. That's also you brought up 1111 is an example of matrix of four in balance. And also in the Western occult tradition, you have the four tools, which are the the dagger or the sword and the cup the discs or plates and what was the last one um uh, i think you did it yeah the points the swords oh wand sorry wand. Yeah. yeah wand yeah wand and sword or wand and dagger but either way they represent those four elements as well and i like to bring us back to how the geometry itself of energy is also a quaternity in terms of the point line and plain and solid. And this is an idea that's been played with on both sides, east and west, for eternity. And then what else? What you also made me think about just a kind of trippy experience I had the other day. I was thinking about the matrix of four and how it self-generates. And that's what a matrix actually is, is a self-replicating womb, is what a matrix is. And you have when you take the four potentialities out of a polarity and then you take each of those options and branch those out into fours. That's the pattern that you get when you look at like trees and, and natural things that grow. That's the fractal pattern. It, each choice itself can then be broken down into a further, just like you have not just north, south, east, east, west, but you have northwest, you have southeast, you have all the, and you have south, southeast, you know, you have all these, you could completely fractalize this out forever. And I, f I found that very interesting. And while I was pondering that, and then I was sort of in a hypnagogic pre-sleep state, 
that night and had this kind of crazy vision experience where somehow in this vision, I was both a tree, but also myself, but also a human. And I could like feel and see myself splitting off into new growths and like self-replicating in the, on this energy astral plane. And it was super weird. And I saw like, saw like a reflection of my own self doing that process on a energetic level. And I think it was almost like you could say like a divine glimpse of what is called the tree of life or that Kabbalistic concept. I don't know how to describe it. It was really cool. And that's the kind of thing that will just spontaneously come out the unknown knowns that you're talking about, but you have to start exploring the unknown before you start running into the unknown knowns. Right. Oh, that's, that's, thank you for sharing that. That's such a beautiful experience and, and uh, concept too. And in the book, I think I, I utilize, um, I, I forget his name, but a, a Chinese philosopher's presentation of the yin yang symbol um, as saying essentially first there is the nothingness and then there is the contrast to the nothingness. And actually in Tai Chi, we would, and most Kung Fu martial arts, there's essentially this uh, uh, bow of respect with the something in the nothing the something and the nothing. And uh, this breaks off into the contrasting pair of elements equating to four. And then there are the myriad things is essentially what he says uh, to, to your, uh, your, you know, your vision essentially. Um, and it, it, it really has been um, revelatory like that in, in my life. Um, just how often it unfolds in this infinite manner. Um, and when I first presented the idea, I actually was unsure of the title because the philosophy of the duality of polarity, it made people at first think that I was being redundant and secondarily think that I was being more divisive than the uh, traditional polarization that independent thinkers note and disdain and and no i was i was of course trying to find a way out of that in balance um and in um a kind of inarguable balance um uh you know i i started to look at four as the minimal way to cover all the bases so to speak, forgive my four bases of baseball analogy, but it's, um, it's okay. I did that in the intro. (laughs) (laughs) And, and actually, if you look into the design of the baseball field, it is all about sacred geometry and, uh, it's got all kinds of subtle, uh, uh, metaphysical elements in it. And so of course it has the four bases. Well, it's designed by Masons. And then you have the logos of these, of these, uh, national sporting organizations where it's red and blue with the white in the middle, which is showing you that same Trinitarian, uh, you know, and the thing that's in the middle of the white silhouette is of the player. So that's what's getting deified by this polarization of our team versus their team. And I think it's a big, like, dark Masonic construction to harvest people's attention energy and keep and hold on to it personally. I, mean, I, I think 
it's it's definitely that and it's overtly inarguably uh firstly a way to just distract people from what from what's really going on um if you're a fan that's short for fanatic and uh you know we we don't need that actually the founding fathers of our country would laugh at grown men Probably not playing sports for money, but they would certainly laugh at grown men cheering for people playing a game because they were on another level of taking on reality, right? And and to that point, the matrix of four often helps us pierce the veil, right? And and that harkens to the four elements of Om. Um, uh, but the matrix of four helps us find a way to... Uh, see the entirety. And I started to think of four as a knife or a cutter, right? Because it's kind of shaped like that. If you, if you look at the base of it as a handle, it has this blade format and it's kind of like Occam's razor itself in, in that it is, uh, uh, it presents the, like I, I was saying a minute ago, um, the entirety in the simplest format. Um, and, and within Ohm, uh, there are the four parts, which are reflective of consciousness. And this is um, when, I, when I was researching the Matrix of Four initially, I met a yogi uh, physicist, <laughs> a physicist who turned to yogi, uh, uh, basically. Um, he went to MIT and then he started pursuing uh yoga philosophy and, and yoga. And I asked him about uh, the, the matrix of four within Hinduism. And he said, well, it's like everything. And, you know, I mentioned to you uh, the, the obvious duality of polarity with the Hindu gods and their vehicles. And, and also Om um, uh, has the four parts. And, and when he told me this, I, I was like, well, I'm just seeing this idea. This is not my idea, obviously. I'm just seeing this idea and maybe um, putting forth the language uh, to uh, utilize it um, so that people even notice it. Um, but in Ohm, there's the four parts in the vocalization, A, U, M, and most importantly, uh, silence, um, or the missing fourth monkey. And in the uh, theory behind it, the, the metaphysics behind it, there's the four aspects of consciousness. Um, there is uh, waking consciousness and sleep state consciousness. And these are the two states that we'll go through on a day-to-day -day basis. And then there's deep awakening and deep dreaming, right? So um, most, most people... Um, uh, and the fourth part is the dot that's um, in the Ohm symbol uh, that's just beyond uh, the uh, single line, curved line there. And that line represents the veil and the point represents the point, <laughs> right? What is the point? That. Um, and it's um, represented uh, um, as uh, the highest level of consciousness that we can uh, seek and and I like to think that um, it's really easy um, uh, relatively to get to the third state of consciousness and that is this state of 
be it artistic or athletic creativity where you're in the zone and flowing and when nothing can get you down, when it messes other people up or trips other people up, you're in the zone. And, and that's easy to get to relatively uh, compared to uh, crossing the Sea of Mara, getting through the veil and getting to the point, which is that Buddhahood or Christ consciousness is often uh, alluded to. Well, it is October. The veil might be a little more thin right now. <laughs> but, you know, we've been talking a lot about the power of choice in a way and uh, by examining how there's more choices typically than just the di- – always more choices than just the dialectical two or three. And one choice that I think is really valuable that I came to realize that I had that took some experience that I think is a secret we could share with people is that the physical energy you feel in your body – doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. We've been conditioned in a dialectical program to think that certain feelings in our body are actually the feeling of anxiety or fear or trepidation or any kind of weird stuff. And what the truth is, is that you you might actually just be sensing something totally different inside yourself. It might be something trying to be communicated to you by your body, but it doesn't have to mean anxiety. It doesn't have to mean that as soon as you feel something inside, you immediately shut down. And we've been so intellectualized and left-brained, uh, like left brainwashed by education, especially in media, that it's really easy for us to make these sort of repressions against our own body's energy. And when you start working with your energy or as we talked about in our last talk, imagining the feeling of your body's energy as you work with it. You start to get a language to communicate with yourself with that is totally free of it being anxiety or fear. You just have to work with it, sit with it, feel the feeling. Don't repress feelings that come up and try to imagine or come up with a different explanation other than something that makes you afraid. Because it's always a thought that this means this or I'm going to die or something like that that makes you decide that you're feeling fear or anxiety. And it's something you can choose. You can nullify at any time and transform through the nullification. Beautiful. Something I've been thinking about recently along that line is how our posture affects our physiology and our psychology. And often, I mean, when you see someone that's in a certain modality, you know what's going on by their body. Yeah, by their facial expression too, but you may not even see their face. You know if they're walking slow and their head's down, that they're maybe sad, right? Or mad or upset or something. Um, And uh, the best way to change our consciousness is to actually focus on what we're talking about before, the capsule. And our, our, the biggest part of our unconsciousness is our capsule, our body, right? Um, and so when that's, I think, partly at least why meditative movement is so effective is that we become more and more consciousness, more and more conscious of our relationship with, um, with gravity and movement and, and what's going on internally. Um, and, and so um, when we... Uh, try to change our being or our state in one way or another, we'll often say to ourselves, all right, 
I'm, I'm going to forget about that. And it's going to think about this. Right. And, uh, well, that's one way to do it. That's really the hard way to do it. The best way to change our uh, pattern is to change our uh, posture, right? And and so we tend to think that it's our posture resulted from our emotive, from our psychology and our physiology, but often it's the other way around, right? So the easiest way to change our pattern is to change our posture. And often uh, in sharing Tai Chi, um, I find that uh, people will uh, forget about the form uh, and the practice specifically, but the principles um, are helpful for them um, you know, in the long term. And, and one pattern changer that as far as um, working on our posture is uh, we tend to plop everywhere. Like we'll plop into bed, we'll plop onto the couch, uh, we'll plop into the car, <laughs> um, plop onto the bench. Um, actually, we'll essentially even fall up and down stairs. We kind of, you know, we'll be in such a pace or posture setting that we're kind of just flopping and plopping along, right? Yeah, I crash into everything all the time. <laughs> Well, I, I do that too. Um, but I, I try now to, whenever I sit down, just be really graceful instead of plopping. Um, and you know, there's good ways to, uh, send vibration through the body and, but plopping is not the one, right? Um, and so one posture change can be right. Setting our head on our neck, on our shoulders, on our uh, frame, on our hips, on our, you know, and so forth in line in posture with gravity. But another just simple pattern changer is stop the plop. <laughs> hey, so while we still have a few minutes in the free hour, something we touched on in the plus extension last time that would be a great add on to this posture talk is the 70% rule because I really came to realize that it was this 110% bro, no pain, no, no pain, no gain mentality was causing me more stress than I needed to. And then, so I want you to give a quick recap of what the 70% rule is, how it applies through Tai Chi and expands out to other areas of life. And then in the last five minutes, we can also give people your, you know, how to find you online some things that you'd like to connect people with on, you know, do your plugs, talk about what you've got coming up. Um, well, the 70% rule is one of those concepts that has helped me in so many different places and projects. You know, if you look at how the Easterners, the not so much today, but the traditional folks um, exercise, they practice engagement at 70%, basically daily. I find uh, one, one thing in the traditional Eastern approach to exercise is uh, that they'll try not to breathe hard, for instance, right? And, uh, you know, this is totally contrary to uh, how people approach exercise in the West. And also, yeah, how many times have I heard, give it 100%, go big or go home, right? Well, 
that's true, but you want to work your way up to that, obviously, right? And, and so if you work out by way of the 70% rule, if you work out in the West, a Western weightlifting cardio approach with the 70% rule, your results will be by far more optimal than the 100% go big or go home uh, approach. And so if we keep sharpening our knife, we'll blunt it. Right. And so we want to um, take on projects as well with the 70% rule. If we have 30 days to do a thing, time frame doesn't matter. But if we approach doing something with the 70% rule, our results will increase over time. If we approach doing something with the 100% go big or go home rule, our results will diminish over time, even though we're still giving what turns out to be our depleted and dilapidated 100%, right? Um, so the 70% rule allows for optimal growth. And also, uh, you can apply the 70% rule to your asana, your, your yoga postures as well. Um, and there's a couple of uh, tai chi stretches also. And I like to experience them in their fullness and then go to the 70% place and I can kind of get a bigger internal flex and stretch and twist that way, right? Um, so also, I think most importantly, um, the 70% rule is really, um, it's what, it, what is what makes meditative movement not just movement. Right. Because um, it, it's the 70 percent place of exertion is where we can still be relaxed and meditative. Right. You can't meditate giving more than 70 percent. I don't think. Right. And so it's this place where it's the maximum efficiency with the least loss of energy and uh, the least useless uh, exertion. And it's really that place too, not only of in meditative movement, but in meditation, it's that place where you want to have a, what they refer to often as relaxed awareness, right? And so, yeah, you want to be focused, but hey, hey, chill out about 70%, right? Um, and it's one of those concepts too, that is so multifaceted in its applicability that to, to really place definitive uh, set on it, I think defeats it. But it's all, uh, also this, it, for me, it correlates with what the Chinese refer to as Wu Wei. And I just kind of alluded to that concept of maximum grace with minimum effort. And that doesn't mean... Uh, you know, be lazy about it, but it means to essentially not try to plant a, a, a seed in a desert, right? You want to plant a seed and garden it, but there's only so much you can do to benefit, right? Unless you put it in a silly place, then you end up doing all this silly stuff <laughs> and it doesn't work. So Wu Wei is like the 70% kind of figure in that, 
it's maximum efficiency with minimum loss of effort. Yeah, there's so many other interesting places that correlate to the 70. 70 degrees is the comfortable spot for people. 70%. We're like 70% water, they say. <laughs> but uh, give your give people where they can find you online and what you'd like them to check out if they're interested in pursuing your work before we take a break and come back for the plus extension. Well, definitely, if I were to recommend one book of mine, it would be The Matrix of Four. Uh, my most popular book is The Geometry of Energy, which is kind of born out of The Matrix of Four. And I recently just finished uh, a book called The Tai Chi Pill, in which I share Tai Chi principles and practices for beginners and also um, practitioners of all levels um, as a way to really um, take on that Tai Chi energy and you know, just simple ideas too. A lot like the do not plop idea, you know, simple, but can carry on to many different modes. Um, and I'm on all the social media and so on. And I always like communication. So hit me up. Awesome, man. Thanks for joining us here. And we'll be back on the other side with our members. Peace. Something into nothing. Completed another episode, and I thank you for sticking around to the end. This was a fun conversation with Ethan. Can't wait to get him back on the show. Definitely going to read more of his books. Very interested in the Tai Chi Pill book that he mentioned and gave some tips from in the Plus Extension. All in all, fantastic episode. I really think that the Matrix of Four can help you sharpen your Occam's razor and... There's a lot to be learned in all kinds of meditative movement awarenesses. It makes a lot of sense that if you were going to start paying more attention to the way you did things and tried to be more graceful, that your mental state would probably be more graceful too since your mind and body have that connection that we're always talking about. So if you liked this episode and you didn't get to check out the Plus extension, I'll let you know what was in it. Well, first I'll let you know how you can get access to it. Look in the show notes for a link to patreon.com forward slash interverse and you will get linked up to the Patreon page where you can find the extended version of this episode by becoming a member. And it's great. You get an awesome secret feed link for the podcast that you can paste into your iTunes podcast player or Stitcher or podcast addict or whatever app you use and it will give you the double length two hour episodes they come out early and you'll also be supporting this podcast which has no other means of financial support at all 
I know everyone thinks that all kinds of stuff should just be free, but you already get a free hour of the show, so <laughs> it's not it's not really fair to people who create to give away everything they do for free because then how are they going to eat? Unfortunately, money is still how most of us get our food. I would love to change that for myself, but I'm not there yet. Anyway, would love your support. Really appreciative of all the Plus members that are already helping us out. And I'll tell you now about the extension here. In the second hour of the show, we talked about Plato's Allegory of the Cave and what it teaches about how people process information, all in the context of the Matrix of Four. We talked about saying no and the power of the sacred masculine part of ourselves. We talked about the story of Miyamoto Musashi, a swordsman and philosopher, and taking on your opponents with a wooden sword instead of a deadly weapon, even though they might be using lethal force. Pretty amazing. Activating your own placebo power through meditative movement like Tai Chi and Qigong. That was a really great discussion topic. Uh, experiencing the chills of signification when perceiving the divine order in the cosmos. That happened a couple times. Visionary experiences were described in the eighth lesson of natural law, which is care. What you care about is what you do best. That's just a fact. Buddha's Four Immeasurables, we talked about those, and also the 1970s sci-fi show The Prisoner, which I think is awesome, and I was telling Ethan about, you ought to check it out too. On the subject of sci-fi dystopia, we talked about 1984, The Matrix, and how media causes us to think in cliches. And finally, we talked about maintaining the beginner's mind and always asking questions. That was really a lot of stuff that I just described, yet it barely scratches the surface of what actually got discussed. So I tried to give you a good little preview there. I hope you check it out. If not, I still love you. And I'm, I'm happy that you checked out the free show. I think it's cool that you're listening to this podcast. And I hope it's helpful and fun. One thing I noticed that was kind of fun was when I finished mixing down the episode or the interview part of the episode, I noticed that the free show interview and the plus show were both 59 minutes and 51 seconds exactly which is kind of cool that they were the same that doesn't usually happen probably i guess i don't actually look at the numbers that often but i added up 59 51 so 5 plus 9 plus 5 plus 1 equals 2 and that's in gematria i should say because you get 5 plus 9 is 14 and 5 plus 1 is 6 is 20 so it's 2020 or four, both <laughs> if you added those together. Or if you added it up differently and did 59 plus 51, you get 110. So each interview was 110. So 110 reduces to two also, so two plus two is four. So either way you slice it, you get four as the number for the interview times in Gematria. And whether or not that's significant to you, who cares, but I think it's a cool, I mean, I do care about what's significant to you. Sorry, but I think it's a cool <laughs> synchronicity. I think Ethan will too. The chills of signification. I feel them now. Okay, but something else that was chillingly significant was the other night I saw Clozy, who you may have heard of before. Really awesome French music producer. If you like electronic music, maybe you haven't heard of her. I, check, I would check her out. C-L-O-Z-E-E. -E. And she came to my town and performed, and with her was an artist called Living Light. Really loved that set, got super into it, and so I 
grabbed some music from Living Light for this episode. You can check Living Light out by going to the show notes or soundcloud.com slash living light. Thanks for letting me use your music. Really fun time the other night dancing around in Springfield Mo. And speaking of Springfield Mo, there is a metaphysical fair coming up this weekend, which will be November 2nd and 3rd. Kind of late notice, but I've already been talking about it, so I'll throw it out there one more time. I'm going to be there. I'm going to have a booth. I'm going to be selling art. I'm going to be talking about the podcast. I might even do a live podcast. We will see. And it's going to be a blast. Hope to see some of you guys out there that are local or near the Springfield, Missouri region where I call my home. And with that, I guess I'll wrap this up. Thank you, Ethan, for coming on the show. Had a really good time, like I said. Going to have you back. We'll talk about more deep end things. And thanks, everybody, for listening. If you didn't check out last week's episode with David Whitehead, it pairs really nicely with this one. So I hope you do. Other than that, I love you. Hope you have a great life. Hope you don't feel like a victim. Hope you remember that anytime that you feel bad you're about yourself or you feel traumatized or triggered or whatever, you're reopening all the past versions of that time that it happened. And it's a chance to re-examine those feelings from a perspective of consciousness and compassion towards yourself. I'm just saying, if you had a rough day yesterday or the day before or you ever feel like nobody actually cares about you or you're worthless or any of those feelings just remember that's not you you don't have to feel that way it's all a choice and if you do feel that way let your choice be that you're learning from the feeling and getting stronger instead of being victimized by it I don't know why I felt like telling you guys that hopefully you take it to heart though and you don't feel like a victim I love you all. You're wonderful people. You can do anything. You're infinite creator beings. You have limitless potential and therefore limitless value. Nobody owns you but you. And yeah, you're made of star stuff also. I'll throw that out there. We're all made of light. Living light. Go check out Living Light on SoundCloud. Okay, this ramble is over. Had a good time talking to y'all. Off to do the rest of my day and... Hopefully kick its ass or something. All right. Peace.